0: Hey everyone, this is Carlos from the Renegade Variety Hour. What follows is an interview with Stephen Gotzella, the patent attorney, that we've talked to in the past before. It's a, it was a fantastic discussion. We went on and talked about argumentative ethics, atheism, ended up discussing diet for a bit, but overall, fantastic interview. There's a, a slight issue with the podcast halfway in between. We ended up having to switch from Skype to Google Hangouts, you'll probably notice the difference, uh, but overall, it's, it's not, not too big of a, an issue. Outside of that, we'll be at Porkfest on June 20th uh, until it ends, which we're really excited about, and that's in New Hampshire. Also, the RenegadeVarietyHour.com is now up, so go ahead and check out the page. Uh, it also has the Facebook page connected to that, which you guys should like, and YouTube episodes and podcasts and everything else are up there now, so definitely check it out. We have a few different articles that I've been writing, and Taryn will be writing in the future. So, uh, that'll be it. Enjoy. to another episode of the Renegade Variety, our podcast. Today we are talking with Stefan Kinsella, who uh, we have been able to speak to before. He is a patent attorney out of Houston, who wrote a fantastic essay, and a number of them, one of them called Against intellectual property. Uh, on the last episode that we had with him, we did talk about that subject, but today I want to talk about um, argumentative ethics, which was presented by Hans Hermann Hoppe, and Estoppel, which is an idea that kind of works off of that, uh, an idea that was kind of come up with by uh, Stefan Cozella how are you doing today, Stefan Good how are you guys doing very We're good. good. Uh, so, Stefan, uh, I actually read out one of your articles recently for one of our episodes, just so I could even better understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, can you tell me a little bit about East Alpo and what that means?
1: Yeah, you read out my first, uh, I think 1991 or two recent papers article, um, which I later expanded and built on in uh, two longer pieces in uh, a law review and in the Journal of Libertarian Studies. Um, that idea was you know, I was heavily influenced by Rand and I was becoming more anarchist and I say around eighty eight or eighty nine I was in law school. I think that was right around the time that Hoppe's argumentation ethics had just out. And Hoppe's argumentation ethics is um is an argument for a type of libertarian rights. Okay, and the argument go is some people call it a transcendental or a, maybe a meta argument, but the 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 argument is that the way we can know that only libertarian rights are justified is that any attempt to justify anything. is always going to occur in the process of some kind of discussion or discourse or argumentation between people. And if there are any norms that is like, say, values or uh, beliefs presupposed in argumentation necessarily by its nature as an activity, that you could never propose anything that would be contrary to that and be consistent. So for example, to take a factual case, you could never argue that argumentation is impossible. I mean you can argue it, but you'd be incoherent, or you could never argue that there's no such thing as existence. You could never argue that uh, there are no such thing as other people. I mean if I'm talking to you and I'm denying that you exist, it just makes no sense. You could never deny that there's a difference between yourself and the universe because – as Rand you are pointed, part of the universe. You're part of it, and you're conscious of something, that something has to be something apart from you, etc. Uh, you could never argue against the law of non-contradiction, for example, um, because if you were to argue against the law of non-contradiction, what you're saying is here's what is true. Okay, The law of non-contradiction is false. That's a true statement about the universe. It's a true statement about the universe as opposed to being false. Right? So – that is the law of non contradiction, that true things are true, false things are false, and the opposite can't be true at the same time. So there's a lot of things like that that are called performative or practical practical contradictions or presuppositions of argument. Um, and if you engage in a performative contradiction, you're showing that there's something wrong with what you're doing. Either what you're saying is wrong or your presupposition is wrong. It's one or the other. Um, so what Hoppe did was he built upon the work of his… PhD advisor, Jürgen Habermas, a very famous kind of lefty uh, European philosopher, and another European German philosopher, Karl Otto Appel, who had argued for something called uh, discourse ethics or communication ethics. Now, they didn't come up with libertarian arguments, but what they argued was – well, the, 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 the part of it that Hoppe distilled. I mean he ignored a lot of their kind of fuzzy stuff. But basically they said that when you engage in communication, there are certain norms presupposed by all the people that participate in it. And now what they did was they said that this is democracy and supporting each other's life, and then they argue for the welfare state and all this kind of stuff. But what Hoppe said was no, their central insight is good, but he said using Austrian and, say, Rothbardian-type insights about political economy and political theory, he said… Um, The norms that are presupposed in argumentation are basically the common-sense norms of respecting each other's bodies right? and having to be alive in the first place to be able to argue. And being alive is a practical affair. It means you have to survive in the world by employing scarce means in the world, using them in a productive way just to survive and get to the argumentation. So that means the people that participate in any discourse are necessarily by engaging in this peaceful…  … cooperative activity recognizing each other's rights in their bodies and recognizing some kind of ability to homestead and use resources. Otherwise, we'd all be dead and we wouldn't be able to argue. Now, um, the, the, the rights in each other's bodies comes about because the nature of argumentation is I'm trying to persuade you of my proposition by the force of reason alone. I'm not coercing you into accepting it. I'm not saying, Carlos, if you disagree with me, I'm going to bash you over the head with this brick, because if I was, that wouldn't be a genuine argument. I'd just be coercing you. Okay. So to the extent there's a genuine discourse going on, the participants are necessarily respecting each other sort of as separate people, right? and it's equal people in a sense right? as having similar rights in a sense because we're humans. Uh, So in other words, I'm claiming for myself the right not to be aggressed against, but the only reason I could give for that, and if we're engaged in argumentation, I have to give a reason. The only reason is because I'm a human or I'm a rational speaker or whatever. But whatever that reason is, it's going to apply pretty much equally to the other person. So in this way, Hoppe argues that – Basically, anytime you argue for anything that's not libertarian, which is basically what he calls socialistic, any kind of institutionalized aggression against private property claims, that that is incompatible with the norms presupposed by anyone. … engaged in peaceful argumentation in the first place. So what he's trying to show is a contradiction proof. He's trying to show that anytime you argue for anything except for libertarianism, you're going to contradict yourself. You're going to contradict the implicit presuppositions of argumentation, which is a peaceful human activity. So that's argumentation ethics, and he had, um, he had a paper in 1988 in Liberty Magazine… which caused a lot of stir. A a good dozen or so prominent libertarian thinkers at the time commented on it, including Rothbard, (coughs) Tim Verkala, David Gordon, Leland Yeager, uh, David Friedman, um, and others, um, and… I was fascinated by that, and I've, I, I have been ever since then, and he elaborated on it in other books. So that's argumentation ethics, and I think – in Rothbard, what Rothbard said was that he he loved the idea, and he thought it was a, a big improvement upon his previous more traditional natural rights argumentation argument for, for rights because this thing is sort of rooted in natural preferences and the inherent features of argumentation, and it basically shows libertarianism… Can't be denied without contradiction. So it's kind of an iron, ironclad, solid proof. And that's the theory of Rothbard and Hoppé. Is one reason people don't like it is they don't like these what they call knockdown arguments. Like people like Nozick, for example. And the the idea is that a lot of these other theorists they they want it to be forever an open field and um, uh, more of a it's more of a game. For them. And they don't like the idea that you can just solidly prove once and for all this is the le- one legitimate norm, even though they agree with it. They just don't want it to be a proof. They want to be well, able-
0: if you have a proof in ethics, though, then you have to close the philosophy department.
1: Exactly, um, exactly. So, I, <laughs> so, so, that, so that's argumentation ethics. Estoppel is sort of my uh, twist on it, which was uh, – when I was in law school, I was in contracts class, and there's a um, – I, I think I had just read Hoppe's paper, and I was thinking about all this. And uh, I learned about this concept in contract law, which is called estoppel, which means if you make a representation – during the course of a transaction between you and another person, like you you, you you say something is true or you say that you're going to do something or whatever. And then later on, you try to get out of the contract by saying that – let's say the other side breached the contract, but to say they breached the contract, you have to make… a statement that contradicts what you earlier said, then you could be stopped from saying it even if it's true because you're trying to maintain two inconsistent positions at once. Um, And there's lots of variations of this rule in the law, promissory estoppel, um, etc. And it just occurred to me that that sort of insight was the basis of the reciprocity inherent in the libertarian non-aggression principle because the non-aggression principle is the idea that… You, you may not initiate force against someone else, which means – what it really means is you can use force against someone if they've used it against you. So there's a, there's a reciprocity. If someone's being peaceful to you, you must be peaceful to them. But if they have been non-peaceful to you, you can be non-peaceful to them. And I thought to myself, well, the reason is because the guy that has breached the rules of peace that has tried to invade my body or my property with force… The reason it's legitimate for me to retaliate right, or to defend myself with force is because he has no complaint because he he would be stopped from complaining because he'd be taking an inconsistent position. He would be arguing that um, you don't have the right to hurt my body, although I just performed the action of hurting your body.  … Which meant that he did believe it was okay to hurt other people's bodies. So he's taking two inconsistent positions. He's got to choose if he wants to maintain consistency. So that's the basic idea of a stoppel. And then I spin it out in this longer article into property theory and punishment and pr- the por- proportionality principle and a-, a whole bunch of libertarian implications like fraud and threats and uh, things like that.
0: So. Um- you know, originally though, I had when I was reading through these these ideas, um, a kind of a concern that I had was that someone could justify social contract theory using this. Which, after thinking about it a bit, it was like, well, not not so much. So basically, in the the idea of social contract, it's um, because you live in this country, you already decided to um, follow these rules that were in place that are put in place by people before you. Yes. Even though you never really formally agreed to it, because you are living here, therefore, if they impose taxes or anything else, uh, you have to uh, abide by. thrown in prison because you already f- uh, followed those rules. Thing is, though, is that one, there, in in a contract case, uh, you know, it, I don't know. I um,
1: I see, it, I see it, what it, you it, were thinking, where you were going, but you just refuted your own. Uh, exactly, False, false <laughs> criticism. I mean, I don't think that argument works because I'm not you know, I'm not
0: agreeing with yeah, that. What yeah. I'm stating though is that that's kind of a, a thought that I was having in my own, own mind, which was uh, you never really agreed upon it whatsoever. There was no really uh, a real contract that was ever
1: created either. Well, let's let's distinguish a few things. There, I think this argument does resemble some types of what's called contractarianism, not the social contract, but contractarianism, or even mutualism. Right, the idea that you know, I'm going to respect your rights as long as you respect my rights. That's the basic idea. I mean that's the idea behind cooperation in society. Uh, so that's sort of like a little contract between you and me. right? Uh, I'm only going to respect your rights as long as you respect mine. So that idea is sort of behind some aspects of contractarianism, which David Gauthier uh, has written on and others. Um, but the social contract is is not that at all. Um that's just the idea that there's this mythical hypothetical contract among everyone in society of, of reasonable rules that we would agree to if we could sit down and negotiate. Uh, and John Rawls uh, has something – excuse me, sort of like this too. Um, but it's, it's, there's never an actual discussion. There's never an actual contract, and it's really the, – the, the point here is I think um, – The Hoppian argument works, and the estoppel argument works by trying to show where someone is actually making an actual um, logical inconsistency or an actual contradiction in what they're asserting. I'm trying to assert two incompatible things at once, but I don't think that happens in the social contract argument. In other words, I, I don't commit any kind of contradiction. So let's say that I own a, a homesteaded farm in America in the Virgin Wilderness, and then gradually a community forms around me, and they adopt this socialistic welfare state government, and they just come to me one day and they say, um, "You know, you got to leave or abide by our rules." That's basically what this is, and and then their reasoning is that there's a social contract that people would agree if they were reasonable, and I mean, but I'm like, well, I didn't agree to it, and if I say you stay off my property. I have the right to defend my property. I'm not asserting any contradiction, so the argument yeah. just doesn't work there at all, and it can't work actually. In fact, they're the ones being contradictory because they are standing upon the notion of property rights in their basic grounding of societal rules, which re- require some property rights to exist while they're taking my property rights from me uh, even though I haven't committed any tort… Or haven't signed any contract, and I haven't um, taken anyone's property from them. So, so in a, um,
0: so, so I, I can let you finish real quick. I'd, but a, a kind of kind of a thought I was having was, uh, in your uh, in your paper, you brought up that if someone is trying to say. Uh, I'm Dan, and I kill Robert. I go ahead and kill Robert, right? And then I go into court, and the justices or anyone else there are stating, "Okay, well, because you killed him, uh, now you have to uh, be thrown into jail." Now, if I make the claim that I shouldn't be thrown into jail, that my pro- that my life should be protected. Uh, … that I should not be hurt whatsoever. I'm stating that all these shoulds that should be placed on me, um, I'm respecting
1: the fact that human beings should be respected. But, because the reason is because you have to make – if you're making an argument to other people in a forum like that, you can't just… And this is where Hopper brings Kant in. He calls it universalizability. In other words, any norm that you propose to be accepted as legitimate, as a reason for action or as a justification for action in a discussion with other people that you're already treating as some kind of equals, you have to give a reason for that. So if you're going to distinguish between people, you have to have a reason for it. So you can't assert what's called a particularizable rule. All the rules have to be generalizable, which means it has to be grounded, in. if there's a distinction to be made between how people are to be treated, you have to find a good reason for that. That's called something grounded in the nature of things. Um, So I can't just say I assert that you should not kill me. Let's say I'm the bad guy. Um, And yet it was okay for me to kill my victim because – it's okay for me to kill people, but not for him to kill people, because everyone's going to reject that argument because it's particularizable. It's not gener- It's not. It's not uh, universalizable. You you can't just arbitrarily distinguish. In fact, if you think about it, failing to give a reason for treating things that appear to be similar this uh, differently. If you, if you want to treat things that appear to be similar differently, you've got to. Reason for it. And if you don't give a reason for it, that's the same as giving no reason at all, which is the same as not engaging in argumentation at all. If you're engaging in argumentation, you are trying in a cooperative endeavor with other reasonable, rational, fairly equal human beings, you're trying to come up with arguments and reasons that we can all agree are fair and that are grounded in the nature of things that are objectively true or that are at least intersubjectively true, which means things we can both see. So, it, you know, it, the burden of proof is on me to distinguish between my rights and those of my victim, and if I just assert, well, it's okay for me to kill him because he's him and he's not me, but it's not okay for you to kill me because I'm me. All I'm saying is the law should be different for me, right? Yeah. Now, that is not a universalizable rule, and it's not going to be… A, a type of rule that can possibly persuade people trying to come to a set of cooperative rules. So that rule, that that argument is going to be ruled out of court. So what he's got to say is, you shouldn't shoot me because of the general rule, and, and Kant calls this the uh, the. Uh, uh, … got to find the rule of the action. you got to find what is the essential norm that's being stated. If I say you shouldn't kill me, really what other people are going to hear is I'm saying there's a general rule that you should not kill people without a good reason. Right? That's what I'm saying. That's the basis of my claim. But once I say that, I'm admitting that I violated that rule in my previous act of murder. <sighs> Now, then we can argue about – we can disagree maybe about what does that mean, what what are the consequences of that once I admit that I'm guilty or once it's established that I'm guilty. But the point of the estoppel argument is to show that it's impossible for the the malfeasor, the bad guy. It's impossible for him to really coherently object to some kind of treatment or consequence for his act of crime.
2: Yeah, I'm going to backtrack a little bit, actually, what you explained in regards to logical inconsistencies and how people get really annoyed by this, right? You don't want a philosophical argument that just stops everything and stops the discussion. Um, It reminds me a lot of theological non-cognitivism, and I'm kind of hopping on the here, but theological non-cognitivism sort of asserts that that's my cat, (laughs) (laughs) sort of.
0: That's
2: that's what so, it asserts. So it, no, no, it proposes you know that you can't claim the existence of God because you know He's everywhere at one time and yet outside of space and time. So you are being logically inconsistent, and those two ideas are incompatible, and so therefore He does not, He, She, It does not exist. Yeah. Um. People get really pissed off about that argument, <laughs> obviously.
1: Well. But. Um, so well, speaking of cats, there's this. Uh, you we can, you can make this a logical thing. There's two types of people: people who like cats and people who don't. Right i think hein- i think heinlein said that um no I, so the danger of what you're talking about is true there there are quite often um uh, inconsistencies made in, in argument and that that flows somewhat from just people being amateurs or, or not being clear in their definitions ahead of time right or sometimes it flows from other things that are more pathological or more dishonest like they they sort of know they have a weak case so they want to obscure the waters um, and, or they want maybe they don't or maybe they don't know that they have a weak case. Maybe they don't. They believe,
0: maybe, I mean, okay. Especially when it comes to the religious thing, right? Because what we're discussing right now when we're talking about ethical systems, we're trying to figure out a logical system that can explain uh, the non-aggression principle or uh, just trying to explain ethics in general. But whenever you talk about religious ethics, it comes from a completely different place where the morality provided by the... Um, the God in this case is contradictory uh, to what He actually does. So God says, "Don't kill people," and then He goes ahead and He floods the entire world. Um, God says, "You sh-, again, not to kill people," and then commands Moses to a, 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 no, it kills, it tells Abraham to kill uh, his son, right? Mur- his, his son, agree, and man. which is funny because I was talking to someone the other day, and they said, "Oh, well, then he said not to kill him." It's like, well, he's still a dick, isn't he? Then. Well,
1: that's great. Pretty- <laughs> <No>, but, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, but part of the lesson was that, you, you know, before he re- rescinded the order, then the uh, the uh, uh, Abraham was supposed to uh, listen to the order, right? And he he would have been within his rights to comply with the order to kill his son. Yeah,
2: but, but, the, but the whole tale is still really inconsistent. The idea that he's testing his faith, right? Well, if this deity knows all and sees all, clearly he understands everyone's faith, so there's no need to ever test it. Well, what it. about
1: the uh, – I mean look, I, yeah. I had this long talk with Jeff Tucker the other day. Uh, I mean I'm not a believer. I don't know if you guys know, but I'm not oh, I'm man. not. I'm not anti-theist I guess anymore, but I, I don't – adhere to it, but I, Jeff Tucker is a good friend of mine, and uh, we, we were talking about um, the uh, – yeah, I mean he's Catholic.
2: I, oh, if all Catholics came out like that, it would be yeah, great. Yeah, well, he's very
1: tolerant and very open, and we, he's honest about things, and we've talked about this, the, the, uh, the, the tempting of Jesus in the desert, and I said, well, presumably Lucifer was in – he was in heaven earlier, so he was like at the right hand of God. So he knew what was going on. He knew that God was the The leader of all things, right? I mean, the ruler of the universe. And he also knew that God was this weird Trinity thing, which is another inconsistency, right? God is three in one. But he, so he knew that Jesus was God, right? So he's tempting Jesus in the desert by offering him, I don't know, to be king of the earth for a while or something, something kind of secular. And I'm thinking, well, first of all, Jesus could take it if he wanted it. He's God. So what yeah. is he offering them? Actually, yeah. and, and not only that, it's like so what did so why was why was Satan tempting Jesus? What did he think would what was the best possible outcome from his point of view? That Jesus would say okay and now what happens? Yeah. Part of the Trinity splits off and fights the other well what what was fascinating about Satan
0: is that Satan is a representation of atheism in the sense that if he, Satan try, does questions, right, he's questioning based off of um, logical inconsistencies or just trying to kind of be like, I don't know how great your framework is. I mean, because, because again, again it, part of it is is a temptation. So if I'm an atheist and I go up to, say, a believer and I bring up, like, questioning God or why doesn't God prove himself or anything else, they have a perfectly good answer – you're not supposed to question God. You're not supposed to tell God to do certain things. God knows all. So being rational, being um, inquisitive, inquisitive in regards to these things, you're being a Satanist. Well, you're being, you're, you're, you're acting in the same way that 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 uh, they Satan did. I mean, it's, it, it, it comes from Adam and Eve. Uh, you know, Eve going against going against the, the
1: the commands of God. She went
2: to the tree of knowledge.
1: Yeah, well, I, which is you know. I, I, never, I never heard that. Uh, Satan represented atheists. I guess I could see that. Um but
0: by the way, uh that does not necessarily true. It's just kind of a thought that I've had. It, maybe it, I, don't mean, know. It, I I could, could be totally too, totally off guard on that, but the thing is those it, the use of reason is not something that is considered virtuous within the Bible. Martin Luther of course Spoke of that later on where you stated that that reason isn't something that's supposed to be held as virtue-only faith. You're not supposed to question
1: God. Well, this is, this is another example. I mean, and not that we're getting on a religion tangent here, which I guess yeah, is fine. Yeah, sorry was, it. Variety. It's fine variety, with me, variety. but the – yeah, um, yeah renegade, renegade and variety. Um, so I mean great. this whole faith thing. I mean I, I I hear my religious friends go back and forth on this all the time, so they will, they will say, well everyone's religious you're religious too you just believe in libertarianism or whatever i'm like well but that's equivocation because you know they're trying to use the word in different and they say the same with the thing with faith they say well you have faith that the sun will rise tomorrow and so everyone has faith so they're using these words they never define faith if you yeah, do, if you try to define faith clearly say as far as i can tell you guys say that If I have evidence for or a rational deductive proof of God, then that's not faith. That's just reason or evidence. So you claim that you should believe in God for other reasons, which is faith. So as far as I can tell, faith means the belief in something with no reason or evidence whatsoever that's what they yeah. believe in, but when you point that out, they freak out, and they say, oh, you're, caric- you're caricaturing our views, and it's not fair. You're giving a straw, man. And I'm like, well, but you're engaging equivocation because you're trying to say that if I accept the law of gravity for the purpose of an experiment, I have faith, and so I can't criticize you for having faith. Right. And it's like, well, that's not the same sense of the word. But anyway, um, there, there is something I would say here um, on the uh, – on the on the arguments for uh, say rights and ethics that are embodied in religion, I, I do believe that religion is a is a is the outgrowth of a primitive philosophy. It was the kind of primitive attempt to understand the regularity of things, also morals. Right. So the sun comes up. What's behind it? The sun god. You know. And we finally refine these laws, and yeah. Newton arises, and we know a lot more. Um, and then also. These things ingrain themselves in culture, and of course, the common-sceptical normative and moral rules that society about tend to get embedded in the in the in the, in, the uh, in these religions. So, the one thing I would say good about religion is that it still does encode in sort of this kind of weird form a lot of practical morals like honesty. <laughs> Don't hurt other people, etc. Well, I think Wait, I think, it, it I, think it, I think
2: it encodes a lot of really improper. It does, it does. It's right. not consistent. I sure. agree, it's,
1: it, but it it carries that within it to some extent. Like, and you you see this when you, the defenders of uh, radical Islam, not the defenders of radical Islam, the people that object to the uh, criticism of Islam as being a bunch of terrorists, right? They'll say, "Oh no, it's a religion of peace," right? So now they're focusing on the part that we all kind of agree common sense that we agree with, the peace part, right? Yeah, but except the right. fact that the Quran states
0: how to punish people about three hundred and fifty times and it says well, peace, very rarely. But honestly yep. though, you that you stated that in sealed like a some kind of moral code. If Bob Saget went on TV, I'm just gonna bring up Bob Saget because Full House, I believe, is a better moral tale than the <laughs> Bible. Um, he never told the Olsen twins to, you know, he never tried to kill one of the Olsen twins or um, or set people ablaze for questioning him or any of those other things. Uh, if Bob Saget went on TV and said uh, you should rape these people or you should hold these people as slaves or you should kill these people, and then he followed up with, oh, and be good you'd go, well, that guy's just fucking crazy, and we shouldn't really hold any of the things that he's stating as being rational or valid. But we do it whenever it's really old, right? So we look at a book that's old, and we go, okay, will give it some validity even though it's incredibly stone Age and disgusting and of course christians will uh... state well it's contextual it has to do with the time it, it was it, it was a product of the time Well, guess what the time according to god has been billions of years okay <laughs> if you think about the universe it's billions of years old there's multiple solar no, 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 systems the, 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 the multiple years eight, eight uh, m- six thousand old what I was, are you talking
2: about I was say, according to god yes
0: yeah, well, no, of right. course right so it's <laughs> so it's this large encompassing thing that is absolutely beautiful and magnificent where stars have exploded to be able to create us But for some reason, God's up there going, don't masturbate. (laughs) And God's following the ridiculous customs of the time, like uh, don't eat shellfish, uh, kill a pigeon whenever a woman menstruates. I mean, this is all I crazy levitical stuff. That sounds
1: like a crazy law that they pass in Massachusetts yeah. or something.
2: Just, yeah, just, yeah,
1: it's true. just
2: read around Exodus Leviticus, and you'll find some interesting stuff in there in terms of... Well, I mean, if yeah, you believe
1: that there's a God who was up there before time, whatever that means, I still don't know what that even means, before time, and he was... I guess he was bored, so he created the universe to have a bunch of plaything, quasi-sentient beings that would worship him. That's a type of... Insane meta meta masturbation that's even worse than, you know. I mean, you didn't do what I said to do. Yeah. It's like a what? universal porno or something, right? Yeah. yeah and it
0: and uh, speaking of porn, anyway, uh, I, I won't go into that subject in a little bit here, but uh, no, um, it's just all the characteristics We're of God are going to hell, all, by the way. I mean, we, we just doomed ourselves to hell.
2: Or, or, well, Man,
0: this is nothing compared change, to the stuff change, I did yeah. in college. You
2: change it to the vocabulary, you say Hades, and <laughs> okay, you know, okay. yeah. same difference. That's where mm, we're going.
0: But, uh, but the thing is, though, is, is that all the characteristics of God, whether it being timeless, whether it being uh, like infinitely uh, infinite knowledge, uh, infinite length, all these things are all. Meaningless terms. They're meaningless jargon, and the the contradictions held within the biblical God are massive. Whether it be that he's just and good all the time, that he's basically uh, all knowing and never changing, which means that he cannot have emotions. Then why is he pissed off whenever he decides to flood the entire world? But not
1: only that, as Mises points out, if if there was an unchangeable if there was an omnipotent, omniscient God, he couldn't act because acting re- yeah. implies that you're un- un- unsatisfied with the current state of affairs. But God, if he's perfect, would never have an unsatisfied state of affairs because that would imply he had been imperfect in letting him get to that point. Furthermore, acting requires scarce means, and to God, if he's omnipotent, there's no scarce means. So literally God could never act according yeah. to uh, – uh, what really sucks is that when you bring up this logic stuff it generally doesn't work very well when it comes to a believer that's human action gods outside of the rules of logic i'm like oh yeah, but and then, then I guess why the
0: hell are we talking about the existence of God if it has nothing to do with logic whatsoever? It's an emotional thing, right? Because saying, because you don't be, you don't go to God or you don't start believing in God due to logical reasons unless it's some kind of like weird deist thing where you fall into it for a second and go, well, there had to have been something that started yeah, everything. Yeah.
2: I was going to say well, of, who God. Yeah, that's not argument. that's not completely
1: unreasonable. I agree. That is sort of a reasonable kind of uncertain fallback position. I'm not sure. It seems like it's still
0: like yeah. it's still like oh well then who yeah. created god? Yeah. Oh I, I don't because god is infinite. Why? So is Donkey Kong. Um, or so is other terms that I can just throw out. Well up actually nothing. if you think it's about no it, no it the, the no original
1: no, was it the, I don't know the greek idea about his turtles all the way down that actually makes more sense because at least they accepted the infinite regress, right? <laughs> his turtles all the way yeah. down It's just some because uh, no one really believes that his turtles all the way down. So you're kind of admitting that we can't figure it out, and we're just going to accept reality as it is. Or we can accept
0: the nation of Islam when we're still on a flat earth and then you know, mixed with a thousand other things. Let me,
1: let me mention one other that thing just, that's that interesting about a religious yeah. – um, the, the appeal to religion or uh, in terms of natural rights. And um, one objection that most libertarians would have to… The modern conception of rights is it's, it's called legal positivism. It's the idea that there's no inherent rights, we can't really prove anything, everything's subjective, and the only way we can know for sure what rights we have is what the Supreme Court says, basically, or what the government says. So the modern conception of rights is positivistic we say, legal legal positivistic. It's the idea that you have to have a sovereign that announces the rules that we abide by and then the if you go back in time a little bit, that used to be the king right so it was the idea there was a, but at least the king had a divine tie to God but so one good thing about libertarians is that they reject the idea that there are no immutable standards or no principles. We we believe that there's a a, a framework that we can rationally come up with of good and right, of good and wrong, right, of, of what's, what rights we have and what you should and shouldn't do, what social norms we should have to govern society, what you should comply with, what you shouldn't. And then whatever those are, which we can figure out by our minds and by discourse and looking at the nature of humans in the world and society we can compare positive laws enacted by the government or that are enforced in a given society and we can say we're gonna hold these laws up to to this light so I can admit that there's a law against um, smoking marijuana in Texas right now I can admit there's a law against evading my income taxes okay and then I can hold it up to, What I would call libertarian rights or you could – some people call it natural rights, and I could say it's wanting. doesn't, it doesn't match that. That's why it's unjust, and that's what you and I would say when we criticize a law. We say this law, yeah, it is a law, and it's wrong for, It's wrong because it doesn't comply with our natural rights. Okay, So that's the kind of rational approach where you don't have any hesitation about admitting that something is a law. See, a lot of libertarians are stuck in this legal positivism mentality where they get nervous if you separate the nature of law from some sovereign… because – so for example, that's this income tax nuts. They just refuse to admit that it's illegal to evade income tax. They come up with all these crazy arguments why there's nothing in the tax code that shows you should do this or whatever, and it's like I think they're wrong as a legal matter. But even if they're right, that's not the point. Even if there was something in the tax code that said you shouldn't um, uh, evade income tax, there's – it
2: doesn't yeah, there's nothing wrong with admitting
1: that it's a law but then condemning it as the bad law, but you can only condemn positive law as a bad law or an unjust law. if. You
2: Okay, That's so okay. As
0: everyone can tell right now, um, we have now switched to Google Hangout because Skype sucks. And uh, a number of other <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> things.
1: Now – I'm, I'm on a different computer in a different room on a different microphone. <laughs> I,
0: I think I'm going to just leave it as like somehow out of nowhere just stitched all perfectly together.
2: Go on yeah. with the yes. variety. Yeah, because we're waiting. And, and you guys and switch me. places too.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, we did do that on top of. <laughs> <laughs> so we. Just...
1: Um, I, so I, I in the meantime I listened to the end of our talk, so I knew where I was. So what I was trying to get at was um, this subtle point. And by the way, you guys are getting the really uh deep stuff here, which is commendable. So that's fine. Um, the um, and it's hard to do this without time to get into it. Um, I, I was just trying to make the point that there is a. Con- there is, a, there, there is a problem that I see with the traditional religious-based arguments for natural rights, not that I disagree with their basic principles. Let's just say you're, um, you're libertarian natural rights people because what they would agree with you and I, I would think, they would agree that, that we don't need the government to legislate law. Or that the government's not the source of law. They 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 say the source of law is in the fabric of the universe, or even commands from God. Now I'm not too opposed to that, but I think that commits basically the same fallacy that the more mainstream legal positivists make. The legal positivists believe that the government has to be the one that uh, le- legislates what law is, because there's no other natural source for it. Although they're inconsistent, because when they criticize a Supreme Court ruling for being immoral. They're kind of they're kind of uh, resorting to some kind of higher law standard, but they never want to specify where it comes from. Um, so, so the so the uh, the nat- the traditional natural rights or natural law types would uh, say that uh, that the, the, a, a mere earthly you know legislature is not the source of law. It's a source of law, but it could be unjust law or just law, but the source of the law that it has to comply to comes from some higher law. My view is that if you, even if you believe that, you're making the same error because you think, you're you thinking of law as something that has a source, like some lawgiver can give the law. So for example, I don't believe that even if there were a god, I don't think he could, let, he could decree tomorrow that murder is right. I mean he could, but that would just mean he's an evil god. So he's subject to a standard of goodness and rightness outside of himself. right? So that's the real standard of goodness and rightness. It's something to do with human interaction, logic, reason, consistency, um, but it's not what someone decrees, so there's no source. So my only point, which we took a long time to get to, is that I see an aspect of positivism or legal positivism even in the natural right to natural law arguments um, where you have to refer to some given body of rules or law to figure out what is right and wrong. Yeah, right.
0: and so that was something that I found peculiar when I was looking in Austrian School of Economics was the amount of Catholics that were there which surprised me one because I think Catholicism or the Vatican uh, as being a <clears the throat> kind of state um, you can't have, you can't, I mean, I guess you could have Catholicism by the Pope, but it's certainly not Catholicism that anyone else would recognize. Um, and also, I don't see how you could look at the Bible and then go, obviously, the non-aggression principle makes sense. Obviously, libertarianism makes sense. We shouldn't have a tyrannical leader. It, it, it just, and when, when you're a Christian, make moral arguments against certain actions used by the government. It doesn't hold a whole lot of weight to me. And I don't think it holds a lot of weight to many atheists that I know who are massive liberal um, I, you know, As much as I am surprised that many in the Austrian school are Catholic, I'm also very, very surprised in the amount of atheists who worship the state
1: Well, yeah, yeah. That's actually more to me. To to me, that's more surprising. I mean, I'm not surprised in general. People compartmentalize, and I'm not a Randian who believes that you have to know everything to know one thing. Um, You know, Rand would say you can't be a good capitalist, as she called it, which was her word for libertarian, unless you accept the other three basic tenets of her philosophy. Right, her epistemology and her her metaphysics and her ethics. I mean I think you can be a perfectly good libertarian as long as you adhere to the non-aggression principle. It's not that hard. Um, So I I don't agree that you have to agree with everything, and like I say, being an atheist or a a secularist is no guarantee of being more liberal in our sense. In fact, I think if I had to guess… I mean, I'm not surprised that more of the. I mean, Mises was Jewish. I mean, I, I mean, that's not a surprise, right? I mean, Judaism is is as uh, atavistic as Christianity is, if if worse, I don't know. Um, at least there's some grain of libertarianism in the New Testament. The idea of at least the pacifist strategy of Jesus is… I don't know. I mean, it's yeah. hard to... Uh, it. No, it, it's
2: definitely it's preferable <laughs> over the Old Testament. Um,
1: right. but yeah. but I've, I've had people submit articles to me in, for libertarian papers, the journal I edit you know, Jesus is an anarchist or whatever. And it's like, it's just too... they're trying too hard. First of all, we don't even know if there was a historical Jesus in the sense that people believe. And what he said, what he didn't say, we don't know. And you could distort these expressions, you know, render under Caesar one way or the other. Um, and anyway, it's just an appeal to authority in any case. And it's an appeal to a pretty good authority if you really believe in God, I guess. that's appeal to a pretty good authority. But
0: it's a, It is a confusing bit, though, especially when you're trying to derive where the morality is coming from. Uh, because, where the what? I, yeah. I mean, where, where, the, where the moral statements really are, because if you state that, well, God commanded us to do this, well, I'm... Pretty sure I can find a contradictory source somewhere else. One thing that is pretty certain, though, is is Jesus stating that you needed to accept God over your family. Essentially, you need to be able—you have to reject your your mother, your father, your your daughter, and everyone else in your life—in order to truly accept God. Which is very non-individualistic. It's it's rejecting all uh, all the the real things in life in order to be able to accept this greater good, which is. Um, that is God, is very status to me. You know what I mean? It, it, it's very tyrannical and, and just
1: well, hierarchical, gross, you know. um, honestly. Well, it supports the idea of a king, right? I mean, the, it's, yeah. uh, the king is a stand-in for a little junior representative of God. So I mm-hmm. think this, the idea that there is a God you have to obey and that he appoints certain sovereigns on the earth to do his will, so you have to obey them. That's why there's a divine right of kings.
2: Yeah, no, um, it's hierarchy yeah. 101, I think. Uh, <laughs> that's where a lot of it derives from. But I, I think it's interesting. I wanted to ask you more about, you know, how you – or how you expand upon how people car- compartmentalize? Because I think Stefan just released a really great video where he talked about the 10-year anniversary of Iraq. And he was saying that he – or the war, you know, and he was saying he released a lot of it for liberals who – <laughs> believe that the state needs to provide us with education and needs to do all of these things and help with the welfare state, you know. And I think he was trying to convey, you really believe that this tyrannical entity, which kills so many millions of human beings and wastes so much money, is going to be helpful.
1: And um, I didn't see the video, but I, I, I listened to Jeff Tucker's uh, discussion with Stefan, I think it was released today or yesterday. It was about his... Uh- his thyroid, his no, not lymphoma, thyroid, lymphoma, and uh, and they mentioned they talked about that video extensively. So I don't know if I've seen the whole thing, but I, I heard them speaking about it. And yeah, Stephen Molyneux is great about um, uh, going into all these ramifications and implica- implications of these ideas. Um, how people compartmentalize. I don't know. I mean, you know, I I on the one hand, I get turned off by libertarians when, for example, in the Boston. Um, Marathon bombings, right? So the very first thing you see from libertarians on Facebook is... Those memes. Well, they'll say things like, um, um, mm-hmm. yeah, that's horrible, but did you know that we're killing people in Iraq? Or I mean, it's like when they say but, it's something weird about that to me. It's like, there shouldn't be a but there. Right? Because yeah. the but implies there's a contradiction between opposing the Boston marathon bombings and... Being unaware of or due or, to or, or, or the bombings in, in Iraq, and there's no there's no opposition. I mean, we we should oppose both. And just because someone comes out and says, "Isn't it horrible that a bunch of people lost their legs today?" I I agree. If they say something like, "Isn't it horrible that th- these Americans lost their legs today?" Uh, and then in the next breath they say, uh, "But we so we need to attack even more." Uh, you know, people in the Middle East. Then, then you could say, "Listen, you're 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 being inconsistent because you're 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 calling for what is causing the problem in the first place."
0: What I, I mean, what if, I found, if,
1: with if you just oppose damage to people, and people object to it by pointing to some other tragedy. It's almost like using it for the wrong. I don't know. It seems who's it, it more seems, empathetic
0: than the other? Yeah, it's it, it's like playing a It's like playing a, a a contest, right? Like, so what the libertarians are trying to show. In that case, uh, and you know, I'm slightly guilty of it too. Yeah, yeah,
2: uh,
1: no, me too, me too. Is,
0: I don't. Is, I don't is is stating, well, you're feeling empathy for these people right now, but I feel empathy for these guys in Iraq, and you should be yes. against them instead. And the thing is, is I understand their heart. I'm hoping at least is in the right place. And I think most people's hearts are actually in the right place. The people who felt terrible for the people who died in those in that situation, and the people who who die in Iraq, I think in both cases they're feeling really.
1: <laughs> no, and I agree it's with just, that. It's though. just there's more direct fear, though. Also. Yeah, it's, just, like, it's just if it's not – to me, it's like if you get invited to someone's house for a dinner party, and we're talking about football, and you say, uh, yeah, that was a really good hit. And did you know that we just hit a base in <laughs> Afghanistan today and killed 30 people? It's like people didn't really invite that conversation. You know, they're not – they didn't ask for it. They're not saying anything objectionable. And it's so just- they're never inviting it though. I,
2: well I think the libertarians are trying to they're trying they're trying to display the disconnection between other tragedies, right? I mean I think they yes. same Harris did a com- comparison and he said, Well, one princess dies, referring to Princess Diana, yet you know, two thousand children die a day in orphanages because they don't have, you know, basic food, clean water, ibuprofen. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, what real tragedy do we want to focus on as human beings? I think it's probably what they're trying to do. You know, is that the best means by which to go about it? Probably not.
1: Yeah, but, no. I, 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 it's as you can see, it's 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 ineffective because the regular mainstream Americans go crazy when you say you talk like this. They go crazy, right? Are you are you sympathizing with them or what? You know, they just they they cannot think straight. So I, I think it's usually pretty futile. I, I I don't know what the right strategy is. I just think. Uh, You wait for people to ask you a question, and if they say something like, what did you think about this? And you just give them an answer, right? If they make a comment at a dinner party or in a conversation that, uh, well, we had to do that. We had to bomb that city. Then you can say, well, did we have to kill those innocent people? I mean what about you're complaining about killing innocent people in New York in 9-11? I mean, how how are those consistent? We have to love people as being humans, you know, for being humans. Anyway, yeah. I think you can point out yeah. in those cases, but I just don't know if it worse to just kind of find any little excuse you can. It makes us look like a minority movement that is desperate for attention, which we're full of assholes, which we are. Uh, <laughs> well, but, I don't think we're full of assholes. I don't agree no, no, with that. No, 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 no. Just, I'm not saying it, that we are, but, but
0: I think I think it can come off like that whenever you do the. Um, Basically, you know when – a lot of times, and I'm guilty of this, uh, when you have a conversation with someone and the way that you're trying to display that you are correct and that they are incorrect is by playing like, oh, you committed this and this fallacy, therefore you are incorrect. Like this kind of topper type thing rather than having an empathetic discussion. Well, I think think a lot of times that can get lost.
1: Well, this goes back to argumentation ethics. The the, the argumentation ethics idea – … is, … is based upon the realization that the fundamental purpose of any interchange of ideas is for people to try to learn from each other or to each other. Like I want to learn from you, or I want to persuade you of something in a rational way. right? But for me to try to argue something to you in an open-minded way, I have to be willing to take the chance that you might come back to me with something that shows that I was wrong. So there's sort of an open-mindedness aspect to any kind of you know interchange… … like this, right? Um, so that's what conversation and discourse has to be about. It has to be liberal-minded. It has to be searching for the truth. So the fundamental goal is to search for the truth, to try to find the true answer that will guide our lives or that we can learn about the world or whatever. It's not to one-up someone. It's not to say, um, well, you just misspelled that word, so you're an idiot, or you don't have the right credentials, so you're an idiot. And I'm guilty of this too. I do this too because I get frustrated with people. Usually, when they use similarly or even more illegitimate techniques, you know, they'll use ad hominems, they'll use um, uh, non sequiturs. They just they don't define their terms. They engage in equivocation left and right. But if you're yeah, sometimes I just quit talking to someone when I realize they're just not seriously sincerely interested in the truth. I never mind someone who disagrees with me, someone who's learning, someone who's confused, who's asking questions, but sometimes questions are asked in a ser- sincere way, and sometimes questions are asked as sort of a um a rhetorical thing or like as a snide argument like, you know, well, uh, how would you like on the IP issue which I talk about a lot, you know. So you'll finally just get well, how are you going to make sure that, that there's enough innovation in the world? It's like, well, what kind of question is that? It's like, did we both agree that we have to – that we're searching for the right rule that's going to make sure there's enough innovation in the world? I mean we didn't even agree on that was the problem. So they sort of sneak these things in, and when you answer them, or they'll say, well, how how, how is an author ever going to make money on a book in your world? And I'll say, well, here's a way they could do it. And then they'll say, well, what about a poet? You know, it's like. Well, I just answered your first question. How many do you have? Do you have a million in a row? You know, so that's not. That's not sincere questions. They just want to find a chink in your armor, and it's not sincere argumentation or discourse. I I find, like I said, you asked about how we can compartmentalize or how we can why there's so many Catholics or whatever. I mean, look, Jeff Jeff Tucker and I are really good friends, and we talk all the time about these things, totally openly, and we we probably don't. We I know we don't agree on a few things, but. We don't care because, you know, we don't have to have the same uh, favorite cars
2: oh, we or hobbies either. Yeah, you
1: know. yeah. Everyone has different interests. It has to. You have to have enough commonality of an overlap. But I agree, you have to respect reason when it matters. And for some reason, and I don't know the answer to this, people are able to compartmentalize in an impressive way. Thank God, otherwise we would be in deep trouble right now. Because most people are very religious, and if they took their religion seriously, we would all be in deep trouble.
2: Yeah, no, I'm glad people cherry-pick. You're right. Yeah, yeah,
1: I am, too. I don't know. I don't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm I have all these I have a mix mixed. You want all so or like, nothing, right? <laughs> it's like it's – like, uh, it feels slightly
0: cynical, too. It's like, um, well, it's better that they're doing this. But in my mind, I'm like, it would just be better if they weren't Christian at all because – an issue that I find a lot of times is that if you introduce yourself or allow yourself that kind of mystical thinking to the point that you're willing to accept, I don't know that Satan's real. um, it allows you to accept a lot of other crazy shit. And it's hard for me to find uh, a lot of,
1: I agree with that, but you know what l- I mean? look on the bright side. I mean, humans uh, yeah. evolved in pure ativism, right, and uh, pr- pr- primitiveness. I mean, that's how we evolved. and you-, you can't blame the cavemen for being primitive. That's what <laughs> cavemen are, right? And they gradually evolved into the primitive human society 10,000, 50,000 years ago, right? And over that time, they've gradually sloughed off a lot of their uh, holdover beliefs, and to the point now where you have uh, – I mean look, I was raised in Catholic schools and, in the seventies in Louisiana, which is not the most progressive state, I was taught evolution. Okay. Right? I don't think you would be that would have but that might be I mean, done now actually. I think we might have some retrogression. But, I was gonna say <laughs> Yeah. But for the most but, part I think we're progressing, like you say. I think we're progressing. So people are increasingly compartmentalizing. I mean look the Protestants basically all gave up the opposition to birth control in uh in, in the in the early part of the nineteen hundreds. I think, but think the, the way you address those by not letting people get away with shit. Um, I don't know, but see, that's a tactical issue. That's a, that's yeah. a method, that's a strategy issue. I I don't know. Um, I might disagree with you on that well,
2: one because, too.
0: <laughs> because like with my parents, for instance, right? I used to get arguments with my parents all the time. My dad was a uh, Christian, so we ended up in a lot of kerfuffles. uh by the time I was about eighteen, and it ended up with some distress, and so I was given the advice by a lot of people. Yeah. Um. Don't argue with your parents about this. It doesn't really matter. It matters are the good parents. Yada yada yada. And I was nineteen, so I said that's stupid. Uh, so I gave my dad a copy of the God Delusion, and we ended up having a lot of discussions with him. Right now, my dad is one of the most adamant atheists you could possibly <laughs> know, and he goes yeah. out of his way yeah. to change people's minds. I've, I have heard him on the phone with people that are going to know him for 20 minutes and, and they'll say one thing and he's like, nah, and no, I'm going to bust you for that. That is incorrect. Yeah. Like, and he got really into Ayn Rand and a bunch of other stuff. Of course, you know, like, like everyone does and it's just surprising to see someone who is my dad's over fifty years old, and it was after he was fifty years old that he that he learned. His yeah,
1: son. that's That's impressive. <laughs> I mean, so, look, so but, like but, but,
0: letting people uh, oh, get away with stuff. It doesn't seem. I, I don't know. I, it, of course, it's a tactical issue, and I've been changing my tactics forever. I went from uh, uh, doing an event repeatedly where people turned in <laughs> holy scripture for pornography uh, to where I'm at right now, which is a little bit different of a tactic of being actually empathetic and trying to understand people you mean, rather than you just. Mean,
1: you mean they turn in pornography for holy scripture by the way around it
0: was called Smut for Smut. It was a little event we did for a while. All
1: right. Okay. All right, wrapping around yeah. that. Okay. Yeah. We um, can, we,
0: <laughs> okay. Quick rationalization for anyone who just heard that and has never heard about it before. Um, uh, pornography is held as being incredibly vile and immoral in a lot of different ways, but the majority of pornography is just people showing off uh, their naked bodies, which isn't something they should be afraid of. The Holy Scripture contains a number of different immoral things, so that we we set up an exchange where people were able to turn in their Holy Scripture. We gave them pornography back as being a... a Showing, look, th- when anyway, we call it for smut, right? So this biblical text is smut, or Koran, or whatever holy scripture that they decided to turn in, and we get the pornography back. The main th- main thing was not to actually have the exchange. Although I ended up with like forty or fifty exchanges every single year, it was about to be able to get attention in regards to atheism. We ended up getting about two different documentaries made about it. Pretty successful. We had uh, international news coverage on it, which was great. That doesn't mean that it was good. Terrorism gets news coverage too, um, but I think it was a overall beneficial way of being able to get out the message right, yeah
1: i got it I, I mean i think there was there's recently a um a mini series on i don't know tnt or one of these media cable channels that was called the bible you heard about this Nope. Mm-hmm. all the, mm-hmm. the product are. yes uh, i have you know it's apparently fairly cheesy but kind of just like a sweep through the whole bible i think old and new testament i didn't see it but i've, I've read reviews of it and uh I was just thinking, if they would have done that on HBO with nudity and gore, you could have actually had a really good pornographic, totally. it be like it could be like a, a True Blood, you know? Oh, it's like the Borgias today. That's yeah, I mean. the Borgias. Yeah, it could be just like that—sex <laughs> and gore and killing—and it's it was real. And if you get the <laughs> same
0: uh, special effects guys as Game of Thrones, you could have the crazy, like crafts and everything else that are found in some of the passages <laughs> in the Bible. You yeah. could have the chariot, uh, the, uh, the golden chariots and everything else. So you could have all that. Yeah, stuff.
1: yeah it, could, it could be. Yeah, it probably wouldn't be that popular. But, you know, I mean, add probably...
0: in some dragons for ratings, you
1: know, <laughs> whatever. The, the, the director <laughs> might get stoned, you know.
2: <laughs> I have to say, though, I think I, I really agree with you in regards that we don't have to agree on absolutely every single thing in order to come to a common agree, agreement that, you know, we value... The ethics in regards to libertarianism, and you know, we're both going to coexist in this reality that we now recognize. So we don't necessarily have to agree on the afterlife afterwards.
1: No, and it's, it's, but it's not just that. When Carlos says he doesn't want to like let his dad or someone get away with that, the the problem is, you know, if 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 you if you uh, uh, interrupt some liberal at a cocktail party who's says something that supports the war or taxes or the welfare state or drug laws i mean you are letting them get away with it i mean you're not stopping them from get away getting away with it because they still have their system right the law still there so i mean i understand the psychic pleasure in just smashing them when you get a chance but you're not you're not undoing the law by doing that so yeah. Right. Well, the so,
0: ideas have to change, though. I mean, I, either way, I you can't really I get rid of the law, so you I have agree. to be able to argue in some way. Right. Or else so but, hopeless.
1: Right. You have to. I agree, and that's. So I actually, the one thing I agree with the Randians on. I was listening to um, one of the Randian speeches recently, and the question was, when should we? When is it prudent to physically revolt from fight the government, take up arms against the government? Uh, not when is it moral, because the, you know, it's moral I- even now. Mm-hmm. It's just futile. Um, and they said, w- as long as we have freedom of speech, you know, then you can still fight with ideas. But if the government starts censoring speech, then you have no choice but to fight physically. And that's kind of analogous to Mises' comment about – he said, what's, what's the hall- hallmark of a free society or a free economy, free market? He said, is if they have a functioning stock market. You know, so these these kind of litmus test things you can use to determine if we've gone too far. The problem is they kind of gradually ratchet up, right? So we all think that we have free speech. Well, we don't think it, but you know, most Americans think we have freedom of speech. I mean, if you just think about the harm done to freedom of speech just by anti discrimination law, right, or, or affirmative action law, there are just so many things people are afraid to say in the workplace because it can hurt their careers or they can get a lawsuit. Uh, there are things like this, and patenting, copyright, and even trademark cause censorship all the time, the, the, the SOPA, PIPA, uh, child pornography laws, terrorism laws. So there is a huge what we call chilling effect on free speech even now in this country. Um, so do we have free speech still? I mean I suppose you don't have to use a VPN to go to Facebook yet <laughs> like you do in China. So I guess you could say we essentially have free speech still. So I don't know. I, I, I don't know. So I agree with you, though, that it's important to have free speech so we can communicate ideas, but I don't claim to know the answer. I, I, I know that people that have sort of persuaded me a little bit, some of the writings of uh, Albert J. Nock and Leonard Reed who've argued that the best way to improve society is to improve yourself, and then if you're an excellent person… By the power of attraction, other people will come to you and start asking you – and then you can answer the questions, and then you'll have some credibility because you're a successful businessman or you're a quiet, calm person with a good life. You've thought about these things, but if you just go berating people all the time – I'm not saying you're doing that, although I have in in the past. (laughs) I'm just saying I don't know if that's the way to do it. I mean they're just going to think of you as a bore. You know, I, they're I, start writing I, I, you all—it's going to depend.
0: It's going to depend on the person too. I mean, you know, there's going to be the subjective thing of yes. I mean, and the relationship with that individual. So, if yes, they're close of course, and you're presenting these ideas in an excited way. It, the the I think something that occurs there with people who just learn about a new idea um, is. You have to hear about this. And then you just yeah. kinda of throw every single thing at them yeah. as quickly yeah. as you can and then not realizing that you've stepped on like sixty different things that you're not yeah. supposed to touch on. You're being a yeah. poor
1: salesman.
0: <laughs> poor salesman. So a lot well, of people Well
1: they're they're not a passionate, obsessive freak about it yet. And you you are He's totally right? excited. Yeah. And, and they're just not looking for seventeen or hundred and sixty books to read. Oh yeah. You know, they they might now. be amenable to one short article, you know, or something. <laughs>
0: Yeah, there's okay. always that, uh, the, uh, what is it, when, you're, when you're talking to another person, a lot of libertarians do this, go like, well, if you just read, oh, okay. All right, yeah, I mean, um, you
1: can never stop, right? It's like this, oh, yeah. oh, then this, and then if this. If you just and
0: read, it. and it doesn't really matter anyway. Yeah. But so, like, if you just read uh, uh, The Depression by uh, Murray Rothbard, it's like, oh, if you just take out, I don't know, 10 hours of your time to read yeah, 400 pages.
1: Well, I know, but that's the point. Is if, if you're talking to someone who's 27 or 43 years old and they've never done it yet, I mean, your dad may be an exception. I mean, it's most people if they haven't done it yet, they're not the type of person who is interested in reading academic tomes and sustained written, rational, coherent, structured arguments. You know, they just that's not what they do. They want to curl up in the bathtub and read a, read a, read a Jane Austen novel or something. Or, you I know? knew you were going yeah, to
0: Jane Austen yeah. there.
1: Yeah, was... you know, that's, that's the, uh, the, what do you call that? The, 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 the law, right? Uh, no, that's the yeah. Hitler thing.
0: Uh, I'm no, into that. But, um, no, there is, uh, there, is, there is that, and it's also the, the celibality thing. It's not about being cynical as much as it is, is going towards a God, certain God, kind
1: of Godwin's life. law. Godwin's Law is that in any conversation, eventually Hitler will get mentioned. Or Jane Austen. Uh, I, was making a Jane, I was trying to make a Jane yeah. Austen version. It's
0: true. No, no, it's, I think Jane I've Austen,
1: never read whenever Jane Jane people, Austin, people are talking, way,
0: so. talking about the populace in a derogatory way, Jane Austen almost always gets mentioned.
1: Um, oh, oh she, she's like lowbrow now?
0: Yeah. Oh, I don't know. No, <laughs> I'm just saying.
1: Uh, well, I was reading Marcel Proust today, of course. It's about selling
0: know? to the individual, though. So like, when I talk about, say, the paleo diet... I'm not going to go into every single part about why gluten's bad for you. Just, you just kind of give them the, the first little spiel like, hey, this is the way that people used to eat. There might be some benefits to this. We might have evolved to eat this way. But I'm not going to like this two-hour-long thing about why it's wrong. Now, my friends, of course, from a year ago, will tell you that I will do exactly that, and I'm selling it incorrectly.
1: Yeah, any, I think anyone does that. Like when you get onto a new diet or a new workout phase or a new thing in your life, then you're so excited. And I think that's actually endearing. It's cute in a way. It's, I'm not cute. I don't want really to diminish it. It's good. It's understandable, right? I mean, I've done that many times in my life. Um, but I think what they're missing here is the opportunity to write a book on the the paleo sex habits. You know, like <laughs> they have. Sh- oh, there's, there's cave, caveman caveman sexual techniques or whatever. It's
0: called uh dawn of or sex at dawn. <laughs> sex <laughs> at dawn. That guy is fascinating. As <laughs> so, uh, Chris Ryan, PhD. Uh, you can check him out on Twitter too. He's,
1: what I want to know is how far back do you trace this? Because if you believe in evolution, which uh, probably most of the people that are paleo dieters do not, um, <laughs> what? Well, actually, most of them do. No, yeah, I would assume. Well, I guess they have to, but I would imagine yeah. they're mostly these kind of weird homeschooler Christian types, but that's probably a prejudice. But of it's based on what your ancestors I'm, I'm, ate. So. I'm going All to right. suggest right now that
0: you uh, – that is a stereotype that you do have incorrect.
1: There, <laughs> okay. there are some- I admit that. I could be wrong.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm, but but, but actually, my point I, is, uh, how far back in that do you community. take this?
1: It, 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 I mean, we evolved from fishes eventually, so maybe we should eat krill. I mean, maybe we should eat <laughs> seaweed and krill. I mean, I don't know how far back you take this. Uh.
0: Well, the, that's 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 also building up a straw man. The idea more is just like, look, um, before uh, it was rather recently. If you take a – if you like look on a football field, right, as far as human evolution is concerned, or at least until last 200,000 years, as far as whenever we decided to bring in grain production into right. our – our diets, that's about an inch worth of the football field. Um, So maybe our diets don't do very well on that. Now that's first how you look at it and then you go, okay now let's look at the science, let's see how Gluten reacts to the immune function and and see if it causes autoimmunity disorder, which it turns out it does. Let's see what uh, throwing in a high dose of fructose happens. Let's see how all these other different things relay and have to do with your own body. So I think some of it got cocked up when people were just going like, we got to eat like a caveman. Because of course, many of the animals that were around back then aren't around now, but more it's... Let's look at this from an evolutionary perspective as to whether or not it's a good idea to eat uh, (laughs) Go-Gurt.
1: No, no, I agree with all that. It just seems to me, I mean, I'm just lightly into this for the last five or so years, and it seems to me most of that reasoning is already implicit in kind of the Mediterranean diet, in the Atkins diet, the low-carb stuff. They kind of already are against high sugar,
0: Right. No, I mean Atkins. Atkins is a low-carbohydrate diet that that relates to the insulin hypothesis, which asserts that any single thing that raises up your insulin causes you to gain weight, which is disproven in a number of different studies regarding calories. The <laughs> Mediterranean diet includes whole grains, which we know.
1: No, well, I know they're not perfect, but there, not there's some you, there's some overlap, right? If you adhere to those diets, you would you would generally bypass a lot of the harmful things you're talking about. You would need processed sugars. You would need white.
0: And anarcho-capitalism and minarchism are kind of close, but we're trying to figure out which ones are.
1: (laughs) So wait a minute. Paleo paleo is to to Atkins as anarcho is to minarchy. Okay, I got it.
0: When we're talking, about, or we're talking about labels accidentally getting involved with one That's another. That's
1: all right. I like that. That's cool. That's He's cool. the paleo expert. Don't listen to me. I'd be off but What about primal? Is primal and paleo the same thing? Or are they um,
0: primal, you know what? You can totally go off on that end. It's kind no, of I like, can, I'll get
1: it. No, there's Sisson lines, on, and there's Okay, no so, so primal,
0: real quick. Ah, okay, so primal is, uh, it was kind of a term that Mark Sisson came up with where he was trying to sell it more to the to people in general, Martin is a really, really good salesman, and he actually got me, helped me to lose a lot of weight, and he basically was like, look, let's look at this from a primal perspective where we do not eat, we can't eat exactly how they did 10,000 years ago, but we'll try to best uh, try to understand food through that manner. Very similar to paleo except primal includes dairy, because it turns gotcha, out that even true. though dairy wasn't introduced to human beings until relatively recently... Uh, you white guys uh, started producing a lot of uh, lactate, which allowed for the digestion of lactose, so a lot of people could still be able to handle it.
1: Well, I heard one reason for that was uh, that was a good source of water, basically. In other words, um, drinking, the, drinking cow's milk is a good way to get clean water.
0: You I'm not am not sure but I do water. know that the caloric the caloric load is fantastic. <clears throat> the the fatty uh the there's omega-3s and there the saturated fats, which is really beneficial. You have cholesterol, you have A and D and K2 whenever you ferment it, especially when it comes to grass fed uh dairy. So overall pretty beneficial for certain people. For me, I'm uh Hispanic. So the I don't have the same lactate production that a lot of uh, northern Europeans have. Although, whenever you bring up race, then people get
1: all… What you're saying is basically if you drink milk, you're stopped from complaining about taxes. Damn. Damn it got me see? see how i tied it all back together yes. <laughs> roundabout if you, if you eat a cheeseburger or if you have a have an ice cream cup then you're basically a status
0: then you're a fucking obama supporter
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah all the right. good thing is the fact that it's not nearly as serious as that which is which is really really good but it's just more like okay let's let's try to and essentially whenever people do decide to make straw mans about paleo i uh I get a little iffy because I used to be um, 320 pounds, so I take the yeah. diet thing a little bit seriously.
1: That's uh, you lost a the man there.
0: <laughs> I lost I lost Maybe 130 too. pounds, so I lost her plus a couple pounds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and you lose that much, then uh, then you start taking this shit pretty seriously afterwards.
1: I totally understand. Totally understand. Yeah. Well, look, um, I got to run in a second, so y'all want to wrap this up? Uh, well, let me let me mention one thing. Um, the stuff we talked about earlier, if people want to look into it more, uh, if you go to stephankinsella dot com, I've got an article on my publications tab called a cons- the concise guide to argumentation ethics, and I've got in there links to dozens of articles. And a kind of a systematic uh, laying out of where it came from, the overview of it, et cetera. So that's that's where people can find more information on that issue.
2: Great, I cool. Check it out. Um,
0: so we're going to be at Porkfest, in case we don't have I, And uh, we're going to be at Porkfest in New Hampshire in, uh, on January. We're going to be coming in during that week. We're going to be coming in. Uh, no, I'm going to be coming June. in on no, June. Yeah, I'll be coming in on that Thursday, and you'll be coming in Friday <laughs> or Saturday. Yes. We'll definitely be there. If anyone wants to talk or anything else, hang out that would be awesome. We are interviewing Stefan Molyneux tomorrow, but good we'll, we'll, uh, which i'm so psyched about and people send that beautiful man money uh he right now is getting he needs some help in regards to i'm I'm guessing you know some help with the finances due to his, his really um, a, a serious illness as in regards to lymphoma so um Reach out and do what you can in order to help out there. Check out Steph at any time because man, that guy's brilliant. And um, so,
2: if you're a fan of free domain radio, I want to keep it going and keep him alive. Then
0: don't. <laughs> oh yeah, that's great. That's great. If you didn't give money to Steph, you murdered Steph. Um, but anyway, that was dark.
2: I didn't mean that. <laughs> um,
0: but uh, but anyway, so uh, I thank you all for listening. I know that this whole thing got messed up because of Google, or whatever. Oh no, because Skype. Fuck Skype. Yeah, Google. Um, and uh, we'll see y'all later. Check us out, renegadevarietyhour.com. The renegadevarietyhour.com. We now have a domain. Right, thanks, thanks, guys.
2: Thanks again for joining us.